0: So, People of God in Christ, one of the best-known lines from uh, the poet and playwright uh, William Shakespeare is the line spoken by Juliet in the play Romeo and Juliet. And it goes like this, and I'm sure you'll recognize it. What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. The literal point is that the word, the name, rose, does not determine the character of the thing it refers to. Uh, We could all get together and uh, decide to call a rose by another name. We could call a a rose a a carnation. But it wouldn't change what we're referring to. But Juliet says these words in that famous balcony scene... (laughs) of the play, because she's agonizing over the fact that her beloved Romeo is a Montague. He is a member of the arch-rival family of her family, the Capulets. So she is lamenting his name, not that he's called Romeo, but that he is a Montague. And uh, she utters these words with an ardent desire for Romeo to be known by another name. And so she goes on to call upon Romeo to doff thy name, uh, throw off, set aside, renounce your name, and for that name which is no part of thee, take all myself, she says. (coughs) It's a touching scene uh, if you've read it or seen it well acted. Um, And like all good literature, it, it does More than entertain, it it causes us to think, uh, what is finally in a name? Uh, Think about how parents name their children. Uh, When the child is born, he or she is nameless. Uh, The parents choose a name and tell that name to the nurses uh, for the birth certificate, and, and thereafter, that's the child's name. But what if the parents had chosen a different name? In just a short amount of time, after a name is given and assigned, the parents probably couldn't imagine their child having any other name. That's just who he is or who she is, son or daughter. The name sticks, as we say, and that's that. But what if some other name had been chosen? Would it change who that child is? What that child is? and what life that child will lead through all of his or her days. But even more, and increasingly throughout the child's life, that child's name does become important. Think of your own name. Think of your name being used uh, uh, in a news report about a bank robbery. Imagine hearing that your name was arrested for a crime, but it wasn't you. And when you complain, well, the newspaper just says, well, don't worry about it, we weren't referring to you in this story. We're just using your name. But that doesn't work, does it? You are your name. Your name is you. So Shakespeare can say, what's in a name? A rose by any other name would smell as sweet. And it may be true for a rose, But what if the flower doesn't smell so sweet? And what if the flower stinks? Then it becomes quite important what name is used and who it refers to. Well, we begin in this way. I'm I'm sure you're picking up on it because the third of God's Ten Commandments is this. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And we ought to note from the beginning that that the same emphasis, the same qualification and clarification could be attached to each of God's Ten Commandments. The first commandment could read, You shall have no other gods before me, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who has another god. The sixth commandment might read, you shall not murder, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who murders. The 10th commandment could be, you shall not covet, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who commits coveting. So, the question is, why is this attached to this particular commandment? Why does it need to be said that God will not Hold him guiltless, who takes his name in vain? Well, the answer is is that of all the commandments of God, it is the third commandment that might seem extraneous uh, or exacting. Maybe even petty. Is it all uh is it all too easy, or isn't it all too easy for us to say, really? I mean, if I even use God's name without really meaning it, or uh, if I use the name of God just for emphasis, or if I use the name of God to take an oath, and, and then don't follow through with what I promised, that I will not be held guiltless. But that's exactly the point. That the name of God is just that important and we should be able to understand this again if 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 someone misuses your name but then says oh I'm, I'm i'm not referring to you i'm i'm just using your name especially if our name is being used in a way that makes us look bad surely we would have something to say about it well so it is that that god has this to say about the The simple, slightest use of his name. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Here's the place to remember that that each of the first four commandments answers a question. The first commandment answers who we must worship. The second commandment answers how we must worship as we worship the one true God. And the third commandment answers to what extent we are to worship God. And the extent to which we are commanded and called to worship is even down to the very use of God's name. We are to speak of God. We are to use the name of God only with reverence and awe. To understand this, we merely, again, need to put ourselves in, in the place of having our name misused or misrepresented. Someone might say, uh, we might say, uh, wow, does it, does it really matter? Is God really that particular about his name? And again, that's why the Lord adds to this commandment the clarification that he will not hold that person guiltless who misuses his name. But even more, God has this this problem, we might might say, that he is holy. He is without sin. He he is worthy of glory, honor, and praise from those creatures whom he has made in his own image. So, suppose you scored 100% on a test in school. Are you willing to see 50% written at the top of the front page? Are you okay to see 60% or 70% or 80% written in red at the top of the front page as it's returned to you, even if it said 90%? Wouldn't you flip through the pages to figure out what you got wrong? And if you flip through the pages and find no errors, nothing marked wrong, and yet it says 90%, at the top of the front page, that's not acceptable. That's not right. So here's God's problem, if you will. That He is holy. He is perfect. He is without sin. And it would even contradict His holiness, His perfection, His sinless being, if He allowed even the slightest fault to be assigned to Him. We live in a day and culture in which the name of God gets uttered without the slightest actual reference to God. Oh my God, says the person aggravated by a red light or by a hangnail or by some other problem. Oh my God, says the person who is even faced with some greater threat. But there is obviously no real thought to God at all. No, no true crying out to God. And of course, it gets worse as the names of God get more specific, even down to, or we might say even up to, the name of Christ. Jesus Christ ought to be a name that is dear to us, more dear to us than any other name. And yet it gets used slightly simply to express frustration or anxiety without any real thought to the man, the Savior, the King, who rules all nations. And so a second point to consider, looking at uh, the third commandment, is the price of vanity. Here is another point to remember that as God issues his law whether to Israel at Mount Sinai or to us here today, he is commanding his blessing. And it ought to be noted that at the very point where sinful man might accuse God of being vain, it's actually the violation of his law that is the height of vanity. We have heard it so many times that uh, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, that maybe we don't really hear it as being as being said, what God is commanding. We we need to consider the opposite. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain means you shall take the name of the Lord your God with great meaning unto your great blessing. So the price of vanity, of, of misusing the name of God, is is that you use up, in a sense, the cry for salvation. It's like, it's, it's like using a, 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 a $100 bill when a $1 bill or even a quarter would do. Well, actually, it's not like that at all because here we're talking about salvation. Here we're talking about attaining heaven rather than suffering hell. By way of the cry, O oh my God, have mercy upon me. We hear, do we not, we hear the words, O oh my God, so often that when we hear them in God's word, we, we might pull up short and say, wait, what? What, 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 did, what did the psalmist just say? What did I just say when I, when I sang the words, O oh my God? Psalm 25, verse 2 says, Oh my God, but it follows with, In you I trust. Oh my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Psalm 38, verse 21 says, Do not forsake me, O Lord. O oh my God, be not far from me. Psalm 40, verse 8 says, I delight to do your will, O my God. But here is the vanity of the vain use of God's name that when we really need these words, they might sound foreign to us. Maybe they even sound wrong to us. But we need to to use these words. We need these words to cry out to our God. The other vanity is the ubiquitous reference to my god really your god who are they really referring to certainly not the god of their salvation certainly not to the god to whom they have been reconciled and by whom they have been adopted so to be promised eternal life my god you say surely you are mistaken i think here of the of the story of the of the Pharisee and the tax collector in the temple in Luke 18. The Pharisee is, of course, all about himself. And and yes, he does give thanks to God that he's not a a worse sinner than he is. But he appeals to his own goodness and not to the mercy of God. But the other, the, the tax collector, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying... God be merciful to be merciful to me a sinner. Okay, so granted he didn't say oh my god but that's because he was just coming to have God as his god and to be a child of God even by his cry god be merciful to me a sinner. But Jesus said that this man rather than the other the bad guy seeking mercy Rather than the good guy, thanking God that he was not so bad, the bad guy went down to his house justified, saved. So forever thereafter, this man, rather than the other, was able to pray, Oh my God, be merciful to me. Oh my God, I need your blessing today. Oh my God, lead me and guide me throughout my life. It strikes me that uh, those who misuse these words, Oh my God, will be those who will have lost the opportunity to say, Oh my God, in the last day of judgment. And it raises the point that if we have such a common view of God, so, so common that we can use his name without a thought to him personally, and if it doesn't bother us to hear others so misuse his name, then do we really know him? It's a question worth asking, is he really our God? And are we truly his people? And so this third point, that it really is no small matter. It may seem like a small matter, so that God adds these words to the third commandment, that the Lord will not hold him guiltless who misuses his name. Why say that here and now in connection to the third commandment? Because our words can seem so inconsequential. What does it really matter, what we say? But all we have to do, again, is to think about the the significance of God's word. When God speaks, He speaks of His own honor and glory. When God speaks, His word is creative and not destructive. When God speaks, His word is redemptive. When God speaks, His word is powerful to save. Here is where we need to remember that we We're created in the image of God. Our words really do matter. We don't have the same power that God has, but by way of the image of God in man, our words, something like God's, our words really do matter. And we can speak them for good, or we can bear the image of God even to the dishonor of God. So think of the risk, so to speak. Think of the risk that Jesus took by calling his 12 disciples to follow him. These men came to be so identified with Jesus that their actions couldn't help but reflect upon him. Think of an employer who is hiring someone to work for him. So he says, okay, I will take a chance with you. Welcome aboard, don't let me down. The illustration doesn't quite work because the disciples did let Jesus down, and so do we. The poor behavior of the disciples did leave Jesus to look very bad. Really, that's the best you can do, to run away as your master is being arrested not stepping forward and testifying in in your master's defense at his trial, not standing for your Savior as, as his enemies were seeking his death, even by crucifixion. So here we see the importance of answering the call of Christ to follow him. Here is the importance of understanding our own relationship to Christ as his disciples. And here is the significance of being called a Christian, of bearing the very name of Christ. It's, like, it, it, it's not unlike a, a wife taking the name of her husband. It's not unlike a child being born or adopted into a family and bearing, therefore, the family name. It's not unlike these things because we are always living and acting as an image, a likeness thereunto. Whether by marriage or family, the point is that we can understand, can we not, what it is to bear the image of God, what it is to bear the name of Christ in being called a Christian. So it applies to everything we do and say as as Christians. And yes, we are going to fail. By our sin, we are going to misrepresent our Lord, As we bear his name. Children smear the family name by their sin. Husbands and wives reflect poorly on each other when they sin. And yes, we are going to fail in representing Christ. But even down to the simple and yet terribly significant use of a name, we are called to honor the name of Christ, the name of God. And that's the most general name, God. But as the names of God get more specific, as the names of God come more and more to mean our salvation and the salvation of others, it is no small thing to misuse the name of God. We, we might lament how, how little we serve as a witness for Christ, We feel conviction that we're not more bold in telling others about Jesus. But the even earlier starting point is simply using the name of God rightly, using the name of God with the honor that is due to him. He is holy. He is worthy of all right use of his name. But even further, his name means who he is. The God of salvation the God who must be known and worshipped by those who would be saved from their sins to escape the great judgment to come. And so finally, confessing and loving the name. The negative side of the third commandment is that we are not to take the name of the Lord, our God, in vain, so Let's start by reflecting upon the bare commandment. It, we, we might call it the bare commandment. Notice that it's the Lord. This is, this is the name, Yahweh, the covenant name of God. So God is not starting something new here. He, is not, he has not saved his people and then introduced himself to them. Hello, I'm Yahweh, the God who has saved you out of the blue. That might, that might happen to people, right? I mean, you, uh, they get rescued from a burning building. They, they get rescued from being lost in the wilderness somewhere. And, and then later, after the rescue, they get to meet their rescuer. Here's the man who, who came to save you. His name is Sam. He's, he's the one who rescued you. But that's not what was happening at Mount Sinai. This this was Yahweh. This was Jehovah, if you you prefer. This was the God who told Abraham years prior exactly what would come to pass, that his descendants would spend 400 years in Egypt before God brought judgment on the nation they served and, and that afterward they would come out with great possessions. Now here they were at the foot of Mount Sinai. Receiving the law of God, but, but being reminded by the very name of God that they have always been his people. For us, here is the value of receiving the, the teaching of God's word regarding election, predestination, that as we, as we come to faith in Christ, we should see that we have been brought to faith in Christ. And that God decreed our salvation even from eternity. Before God ever commanded the first molecule of creation to be, he had already named you. And named you after himself. So the negative side of the, of the third commandment is that we are not to forget who God is. So to use his name always with Fear and reverence, but the the positive side, if you will, of the third commandment is that rather than using the name of God in vain, that we do use the name of God with meaning and 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 with purpose and with joy in our hearts. We get to name the name of God as our own God. Once again, think of think of uh, the young couple in love. Uh, all they need is to hear the name of their beloved and they swoon right oh that's the name of the one i love that's that's the name of the one who is my husband or who will be my husband that's the name of the one who is my wife or who will become my wife the name is the person when it comes to the one we love so here's the positive side of the, of the third commandment, that we get to use the name of God, the name of Christ, to our great comfort, our joy and delight, to refer to the one who loves us, the one who has saved us, the one who has promised never, ever to leave nor forsake us. Romans 10, verse verse 6 says that the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The point that the Apostle Paul is making is that Christ is known to you, is he not? His name is known. You know what his name is. You don't have to climb into heaven to figure it out. You don't have to sink into hell to find Christ there because Christ has come from heaven and he has risen from the depths of death in the grave in order to be your Savior. He is right here. And he is right now before you. You know his name. And his name, is it not precious? This is what makes the Christian life so hard to live. And yet we must live it. We we live in an OMG culture. We we live in a day and culture that uses the name of God as if it means nothing. When it really means everything. Think of that Distinction that comparison. We live in a culture that uses God's name as nothing when the name of God really means everything, literally everything. We live each day to hear the name of the king used carelessly without any connection to who and what he really is, the savior of the world. So it ought to pain us to hear others violating the third commandment. It should pain us for their sake because they are uttering a a, a crying out to God that they don't really mean and a cry that they must really mean if they would be delivered from the wrath to come. And it should pain us for our own sakes because every time we hear it, the vain use of God's name it beats down on our own sense of our need for the name of God. Whatever the name, God, the Lord, perhaps above all, Jesus, Christ our Lord, when it gets misused, we are abused. And so no one will be excused for misusing the name of God, because the name of God is our only hope. It's our only hope. The name of God is the only hope of sinners. What's in a name? Everything, literally everything, when it comes to the name of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, forgive us for our misuse of your name. Cancel out the harm we have done to ourselves and to others by misusing your name. Make yourself known to us all the more by your word so that we would indeed know your name, know who you are, what you are, and what you have done for us in Jesus Christ. And indeed, give us such a view of Christ that we would espy, His glory, even unto always, using His name to His great glory. This we ask and pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.